All right. Welcome to another episode of Operation Limitless. I'm Brett Lechtenberg, and I'm here with Mark Peterson Sauersano and Bill Schiffenauer. This is the show we hear directly from the people who are in the top 1% in the world of what they do. We focus on how average people ended up achieving incredible triumphs through confidence, grit, determination, and a quest for personal mastery. And the goal is to take the commonalities of these incredible individuals and create models in which other people can follow. And today we have the extreme honor of being uh, with Mr. Will Ravello and Sal. I am going to turn the show over to you to introduce Will and kind of get us started since you are friends. So take it away, uh, Chico Scaminino. Yeah, I don't know. Friends. I mean, who said I was friends with this guy? No. I'm like, <laughs> wow. Wow, um, that hurts. <laughs> I tell you, it's going to be real, bro. Uh, no, Will's a really good friend of mine. I met Will back in 2000. I think it was six. We were both trying to go through a special forces course. I was a little bit older than him, so, you know, he was kind of questioning why I was there, but, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but Will, um, Will is no shit my, like, hero when it comes to tactical proficiency in the special operations community. Um, not only is a Green Beret, but he went through Force Recon when it was Force Recon and it was hard. So then he decided to move on and he came over to the Army side and then went through that. And so, like, you know, for him, he does it with his eyes closed. But the rest of us can work our ass off for it. But Will had a similar background with us, um, or me, I should say. Um, immigrant parents coming over, being very different in a world that, you know, you're trying to figure out and navigate with parents that are still trying to figure out and navigate how to survive in the U.S. So um, I have a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for Will, and that's about what I'm going to say. I'm going to let him give his piece, but right now he's trying to get into a few different things, and uh, hopefully we can help promote that. Sounds awesome. Oh, that's that's one hell of an introduction, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so pretty much – my- right. Yeah, why don't – sorry, I don't mean to cut you off because you're probably yeah. going to do this. Why don't – we typically have you give kind of your background. So why don't you tell the guys and everybody else out there in Limitless Land your background and how you came to be where you are right now. All right. So I, I'm a Green Beret, 19th Group, 18th Charlie Green Beret. Um, I was also a Force Reconnaissance Marine for four years in the Marine Corps. I did a little bit of a contract work for working for Triple Canopy right between the Marine Corps time and the Army Special Forces time. And when I finished, uh, not really when I finished my my special forces time, um, I also became a police officer in, the, in San Francisco, and I was a member of their SWAT team. It's a full-time SWAT team for over 10 years. So in, in that position, I was a team leader for their SWAT team and uh, went on numerous missions for, for a long time for until I just I was done, and I didn't want to be a cop anymore. Um, but if I start from the beginning, um, like Sal was saying, my family came, my family, I'm, we're, we're Cuban in origin, right? So my family came to the United States in 1971 from communist Cuba. Uh, my father, when he was younger, he was 16 years old with his buddies. And of course, what all 16 year olds do, they were out at the beach messing around, having a good time, daring each other. And they were jumping off a pier. My father, at the age of 16, jumped off a pier with his friends, his back bent the wrong direction. He ended up crushing two of his vertebrae, being paralyzed for in a wheelchair without moving for two years of his life. And then after that, he had major nerve damage that he could barely move. 
he could move, but it was uh, he had a lot of nerve damage, so his his movements were very limited compared to all of us. Um, so now fast forward that he meets my mother. My dad was very smooth, being uh, <laughs> in his conversation, right? Because he couldn't he couldn't get up and really move, but he could he could do what he did, right? So so dad convinced mom to uh, to to marry him, and then uh, fast forward a little bit more, they leave Cuba in 1971. Uh, they arrive to Florida in uh in florida they moved to, to miami um a little bit of time passes they end up uh they end up i come i end up coming along and uh my family i, I don't know if you remember what miami was like in the 70s with all the cuban refugees coming over things became a little hairy all you got to do is watch the story of a scarface so mom was like it took me a hard time to get pregnant this is uh this is my only child we're leaving florida now and and my dad was like, okay, whatever you want to do, because her side of the family was, you know, the ones that were living here in Florida were involved in things they shouldn't. My mom wanted nothing to do with that. Yeah. So we end up uh, going to Florida or to California. I'm one years old. Um, my dad doesn't speak English. Uh, my mother doesn't speak English. My dad can barely, uh, he can move, but he can't walk like the rest of us, right? So Pops had to sit there and, uh, we had government assistance for probably, I'll say maybe a year. But back in the 70s, this was 1977, uh, back in the 70s, they used to offer a program that that they would teach you a skill set. I don't know if they still do that. So they, they, they offered you a skill so that you wouldn't be stuck in government housing or government assistance. Um, so that's what my dad did. So my dad ended up working for IBM um, doing motherboards by hand. So soldering. So he learned how to become, um, how to do all the soldering work so much so that he moved all the way to the top of his company in that department. And then that's when mouses came out and more computer work started getting in. And then he got scared and he kind of backed up and said, I can't do this anymore. I'm good. And I'm going to retire. So yeah, that's where my computer illiteracy comes from. It comes from my father. <laughs> uh, so, and at the same time, my mother, uh, she worked for numerous, uh, numerous companies out in Silicon Valley because we were from the Bay Area in, in, in California. Um, worked for numerous comp companies, but uh, a lot of them started getting, uh, started laying people off and whatnot. So she ended up changing over and opening her own business. So she ran a daycare center forever. I can remember when I was a kid, she had our garage was completely converted. We had over 20 kids. She was licensed. She had everything. Boom. So I saw her start being an immigrant, her and my father come from Cuba communist Cuba, leave a bad environment in Miami that she had, you know, the family was there to go basically on their own, start from scratch and, and, and do what they have to do. Right. And then we ended up having a house and cars and everything. So we were no longer stuck in that system that a lot of people get stuck into. Um, so I grew up there. I grew up with, uh, with, with my mom and dad together in this, in this environment. Now, as for my childhood, it was awesome at home. Mom and dad were very supportive of everything that I ever did. They would always tell me, Will, you can do anything. You can do anything. You can do anything. And I believe that. And Mel Robbins actually talks about this in one of your books. That's great for your kids to a certain point until they get to school and something happens and they don't accomplish that. So now my belief system that, hey, Will could do anything and Will was can do all this stuff. All of a sudden now I get to school and I start getting picked on because I'm a little foreign kid. And mind you, I got green eyes and brown hair and I'm very light skinned, but when I speak, <laughs> excuse my language, like a refugee, you know, because my I had a huge accent at the age of six all the way to like seven or eight, which you can't get it now. But I spoke with an accent because mom and dad didn't speak English until, you know, a little bit later on. Um, my dad still does or still did not speak uh, 
a lick of English until he died he, at all. He refused to learn. I don't know why, but um, anyways, like I said, I started getting picked on and I would play baseball and the older kids um, would try to beat me with the ball. I would uh, end up getting jumped at school so much so that I lost a lot of that confidence that my parents instilled in me. I always kept it in the back of my mind that I could accomplish anything because I kind of saw the example of mom and dad do it coming from nowhere with nothing and having more than a lot of people that are born in the United States can without even speaking the language, just by seeing hard work. So I did understand that hard work aspect. Um, so as for me and my confidence levels, I was so afraid growing up of being, excuse my language, a pussy and being afraid that I did everything to counter that. Um, I grew up a huge fan of Star Wars and all those kind of, uh, movies from Rambo to everything. So, you know, growing up in the 80s, we had real movies where the superheroes were were tough guys, not the stuff right. we have now, right? So hey, I here. always so yeah, yeah, right. Interrupt you. These guys are all older than us, so they, they know about the 80s. We're the young guys. Too. <laughs> <laughs> right. But so what I'm saying is that I grew up with that mentality, right? That I've I you could accomplish things as long as you bust your ass and you can get there. But that didn't stop the fact that I was afraid. And I was afraid of being a pussy and I didn't have the confidence on a lot of things, but I wouldn't stand. I wouldn't, I wouldn't back down from a fight or a tough situation. Um, I had, I would get picked on and I'd sit there and I'd come home with a bloody nose because I ended up fighting two kids. Uh, I'd get suspended from school because someone made fun of me and I refused to back down. I was afraid the entire time. Nothing there gave me like, Oh, I'm going to win this situation. But I just refused to let myself become a coward. All right. So fast forward, um, I end up working the job. My mom wanted me to like, I, I really used to draw a lot and I wanted to go work for Marvel, but my mom, that's what happens when you have a overbearing uh, Hispanic mother who forces you <laughs> with a, with Catholic guilt into uh, making you, uh, <laughs> into making you do what she wants you to do. So I end up working for a bank and I end up going into business and changing my, uh, my major that I wanted to, to go to business. And I hated it. Um, I sat there and I was working this job and I hated college and I hated everything. And I was like, man, what, what, what am I doing here? This isn't what I want to do. And then I started getting the wild hairs. Um, and I was like, uh, then I was, then I got the wild hairs and I was like, let me, let me do what I want to do. So I said, either I'm going to move to Australia and become a professional surfer, or I'm going to go join the military. And I wanted to be a Navy SEAL at first because I, I wanted to be like Charlie Sheen and jump off uh, jump off of bridges into the water and think I'm a badass, right? Guys, I'm really sorry. I didn't know he had this desire. So we're going to stop this. <laughs> no, hold on, hold on. So you're out of it is what he's trying to say. Yeah, I'm not done yet, man. Come on. No. So I wanted to be a Navy SEAL and I go to the Navy recruiter. Um, and I tell him the Navy recruiter starts trying to talk me out of it. And... Uh, and my buddy that was with me was a Marine, and he's like, all right, man, we're, we're going to leave. I can't let you go in there. At the same time, I can't let you wear that uniform. So he takes me over to the Marine Corps recruiter, right? Um, at the Marine Corps recruiter, the guy, and this is where he swindled me, all right? He goes, and he's all, well, you ever heard of Force Recon? Force Recon, well, that's why we're that secret. <laughs> so he shows me some video. And I was told I was uh, I was 22 years old at the time. Um, I'm all here's my my name. Send me yesterday. I'm ready to go now. Uh, this was 1999. I'm gone to boot camp probably within less than a month, and I start my career in the in the, uh, in the Marine Corps. 
uh, at boot camp, I was. So I'm ki- I'm kind of a natural leader when it comes to certain things because being put in charge of me is really easy. It's it's not. I don't really stress out in, in high in high stress environments per se. Like when a lot of things are going on, it makes a lot of sense to me. But uh, so I was a, a kind of a natural leader, and they made me in charge. You know, but I couldn't drill. So when I was the guide, I, I turned the wrong way. I lost my guide position, but I still was a squad leader, et cetera, et cetera. Back then, um, I signed up to go to recon, so I had to. I had an automatic uh, for selection. Everybody that was there that I was with, we waited approximately a month to take our test. Everybody in my class failed out, and the reason was because nobody took it serious. Everybody was busy. Not really, not doing their push-ups, not doing nothing. They were more just wasting time waiting to go. I ran every day and I worked out every day because I, like I told you, I had this mentality that I'm not going to be a coward. I'm not going to fail this um, because once I put it in my mindset that I, I was going to do this this thing, it wasn't that I was confident I was going to do it. I just put everything lined up that I wouldn't fail because I was afraid of failure because I didn't try and everything went back to the fear of being a coward. Um, as time went on. I passed uh, that indoctrination, went straight, went straight to recon in, in Okinawa or, or actually to Virginia to pass the course, which was funny because while I was doing the course, because I was already conditioned and in shape, I used to believe that all these special operations units were impossible to get into unless you were some sort of superhuman. Um, as I was going through your, your amphibious reconnaissance school out of Virginia, I started realizing, well, this is not impossible. And my mindset started to change. I'm like, okay, so as long as you're busting your ass and you're giving everything you've got, there really is no reason why you shouldn't be able to do this. So that mentality that I thought I built this awesome, huge wall that I thought was impenetrable, all of a sudden now I could see it and I could see it climb. I'm like, okay, as long as you don't give up and you come every day willing to do battle, you'll pass this course. No shit. At the end of it, I pass the course. I get given my certificate. You're a recon marine now, Will. So now this is, yeah, I'm a recon marine, but I am and I'm not because now I get to my unit. So now, at recon recon is in my opinion there's two places to go learn to cut your teeth as a young soldier or in, once you're entering into the field of soldiering a ranger battalion which will teach you through the army go to ranger bat you will learn what it means to to do any kind of special operations in the future or back in the days it was it was being a recon marine because when you mess up it's not one of those like hey a counseling statement no you're going to grab sandbags and you're going to go fill them up at the beach you're going to bring them up here show them to your team leader they're going to say cool okay dump it out go get me another one and you'll do that for the whole weekend or or you'll be doing like i did one day i did eight count bodybuilders which are burpees the entire weekend because someone well because me and my buddy didn't have our shirt tucked in in okinawa so i literally spent the entire weekend doing eight count bodybuilders just it was you learn through pain and you accepted your, your defeat, but it built you and it built you strong, right? So you gonna show your six pack or what? <laughs> no, I had a real nice one then. Now it's it's but but yeah, no, what, what happened was like in stuff like that, um, that's where you built this this confidence and this and that. Not to mention the teamwork that you had in those days because it was tough. That those were the days before all the electronics, before all the, the cool optics, so you're still doing with iron sights, your your rucks were still super heavy because you needed a million batteries. So we were a six-man unit, and we depended on each other a lot. All right, now kick off. Afghanistan kicks off. We don't get the call. All right, so Will Ravello is in his 20s. He's freaking out because Afghanistan kicks off, the war of my generation, the thing that I used to sit about and dream of because I had youthful courage, you know, stuff that Homer speaks about, that the 
the young Greeks had wanting to go to battle to show their virtue so that they could be what they were. And this was my shot and I didn't get the call. I was forward deployed in Okinawa in a special operations unit in the Marine Corps and we weren't going anywhere. So that kind of crushed us, but it crushed all of us. Um, so then I started looking out for the next, what's the next one? What's the next one? We got a call to go to the Philippines, but some things happened politically that we were not gonna be able to declare war there. So we got turned around and just went to Korea. And when we were in Korea, we were like, what, you know, what are we doing in Korea? Now we're supposed to go to the Philippines over one of the radios while we're on patrol watching, we're real close to the DMZ for some reason. And we're watching, you know, doing reconnaissance. And then also we get over the air that we just dropped bombs on Baghdad. Okay, at that point in time now I missed Afghanistan and there's a war starting in Iraq and I'm stuck in Korea freezing my ass off <laughs> watching watching a hillside. I'm like, okay, man, what am I doing? This 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 war is gonna come and go and I'm gonna miss it. And that's all that was goes back to my fear. I'm like, how can Will Ravello be considered a warrior if if I haven't fought a real war or actually put my life on the line to be able to say that I did this? Uh, it goes back to me being afraid of being a coward. Um, mind you, I'm putting myself out there, but I still had it wasn't tested. Um, so once that happened, I was like, okay, what do I do now? My, my contract expires in the Marine Corps, and I'm like, I'm out of here. I got to find a way to go to war. So I drop my rucksack out of the Marine Corps, and I go and I start contracting. I start working for Triple Canopy, and everything's lining up. Boom, boom, boom. Good job. You pass. I pass my basic course, getting ready to go forward to uh, Iraq and deploy. And I'm like, hey, man, I'll go to Iraq. I'll deploy. We'll see where we go from there. Uh, then a situation at the State Department, Blackwater takes over all the contracts and Triple Canopy loses all of them. So now I'm like, what do I do now? I lost another opportunity to go to war or at least be in a combat zone and, and test myself. What do I do? I went back to working to the bank um, and I'm like, okay, what am I gonna do? And randomly some guy shows up at my, uh, at my office and tells me about this unit that's located real close by called 19 Special Forces Group and they're always looking for guys. Um, and they need a tryout. And I was like, what's the trial? He's like, it's a 12-mile ruck run and a PT test. I'm like, oh, cool. Let's go do it. Mind you, it's been over a year since I've done any of these things because all I was doing was lifting weights, trying to become a huge power lifter. So let's just say that I wasn't in the best shape to go do this. But, you know, I had that mentality. I said, fuck it. Let's go. Um, the test comes, and I take it. And it wasn't my fastest time. And I just put the rucksack on, ran, and, or did my thing, and I passed. Huge blisters all over my feet because I wasn't prepped. I wasn't in the, the, the condition that I was when I was a recovering. When I was a recovering, I was a stud because my team leaders and everybody around me made me a stud because they pushed me to a certain level, um, which that mindset stayed as to what a badass is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And when I got out, it dropped a little bit, which I think happens to all of us. And then when I went back into SF, I was like, okay, I got to get back on. Um, that's where I met Sal. Uh, right past after I did that test, the first weekend I met Sal, we had to do a ruck march. And I remember me and him talking the whole time going up these hills. I was talking to him about samurais and warriors and all sorts of just nonsense. Half of it was to make him motivated, but more of it, I think, was for myself, too, to just be like, come on, man. Don't be a, you know, don't be a pussy. We got to beat all these guys. We got to beat all these guys because we were in a competition with everybody. And I think we ended up coming in first place. Didn't we, Sal? Or at least second. You, I don't remember. I didn't come. You were right next to me. Is he easy? Staminino will tell you that he's this and he's old and he's that, but the man still got it. And I'll tell you more about that, our Afghanistan trip on that one where he surprised the hell out of me. <laughs> All right. So we go to the Q course. All right. We pass everything and then we're stationed to go to slaughter to go to the Q course and Sal's there with me. This is the first time Sal surprised the hell out of me. 
Uh, so we're at the Q course and we're doing our thing. And, I, and I'm, I'm one of those guys that I have to have all my stuff pre-staged and get everything going because I know how this goes. Cause I'm used to that old mentality of, Hey, we got to break, uh, break out of our little Harbor side or whatever. And cause we break contact. So day one of the uh, selection, Sal will probably tell you this. I decided to fix all my equipment so I don't have to worry about it the rest of the time. Everybody else is asleep in the hooch. Sal's my bunk mate, like literally right next to me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm fixing everything so I don't got to worry about it tomorrow. I think I probably did that for like two hours. He kept yelling at me the whole time. like, go to sleep. I'm like, I can't. I got to get this done. If not, my let's, mind let's be, Hold on. Let's be clear. I'm going to stop you. And then I'm going to let these guys ask you some questions. Will was up at 2 in the morning repacking his poncho. <laughs> because he wasn't sure it would stay closed together in his rucksack. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Go to bed. <laughs> so, Will, let's, let's let, look. I know a lot of these stories, but let's, let's let these guys ask Will, you some questions because you know they're probably chomping on the bit for it. I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for the the, the, the part of the story where I know what you're going to say, me. Mark. What's that? Go ahead. I know what you're going to say. I'm waiting for this part of the story where, where, uh, Sal gives you the name uh, Will Ravioli because every time he introduces you, it's always Ravioli, Ravioli, Ravioli. So, I mean, is that just because he's Italian or did you earn that name? That's honestly the last name, Ravello. And then he just, honestly, it's kind of started right when I met him. Like, it was like pretty fat. Look, the whole thing was his story is what you got to ask about Chico Stamanino, how that came about. <laughs> okay. So we're in Afghanistan and we're, okay, mind you, we fast forward all that stuff, Iraq deployments, and then all of a sudden now we're in Afghanistan. And Sal and I are put together in the same team. Sal's our 18 Delta, he's our senior Delta. We're working out and mind you, this is Obama era Afghanistan, right? So, so the weightlifting is what we're primarily doing because there's no real combat going on. There's little prisoners here and there. So we're spending a lot of time in the gym. And Sal decides to come work out with me and another guy named Tony, which was my junior, Charlie. Tony's... Tony looks like the Incredible Hulk. Like he's literally, uh, he's, hell man. Bill, I'm guessing you're a big dude, right? Right? So, you me? Yeah, yeah. Is that Brett or Bill? That's Bill. Oh, this is That's Bill. Bill. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay, Bill, you look like a big dude, right? Because I was looking at your picture, like really big. I think Tony's twice your size. Ask Sal. Sal. Tony looks like a monster. Like he's just huge. So I'm working out with Tony. All of a sudden, here comes Sal. Sal hasn't worked out in I don't know how many years, but Sal decides to come join us at the gym. I don't know where Sal has probably about a month of working out with us. All of a sudden, Sal's biceps are bigger than mine. I can't let him know that, but I notice it. And I'm like, okay. And then he's like, hey, Will, Chico Staminino's. And he starts flexing on me every damn second that he gets. And he'll be walking out. like, hey, look at these. And he's got that tattoo on the inside, which I remember. What does that say, Sal? That's why you own it. Yeah, that one. And he goes and keeps popping it to me. And I'm just like, all right, man, get out of here. But Sal got huge while we were in Afghanistan. And, uh, and he would let me know it. Every day, so every day. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of stories between Will and I, but Will and I have a lot of fun. But Will, let's let these guys ask you some questions, man, because I know a lot about you, and I want these guys to know just as much. So, so Will, it sounds like you had some serious um, goals and aspirations uh, in those days. Sounded a lot like you really were looking for some for some time to cut your teeth in battle and uh, and be out there. But that's that's uh that that's the story of, of the past, Will. What what do you what do you want to do now? What what's driving you right now? What is your next step? So my next step is I have twofold. I need to be a dad. 
right? Because I let that part of my life go to the wayside a lot because I was so busy chasing Will's goals. And the second thing that I want to do is I'm we're, we're looking at becoming a life coach, right? So me and my wife have been talking a lot about how we can help other people that have been put in a rut right in the middle of their life, right? Right around your 30s to your 50s to 60s. Like, how do we make people be able to move? Because it's not over. My worst part of my my uh, my life where I think that I became the most laziest and the worst was in my 30s. Um, it's when I was a cop in San Francisco and I became comfortable. And I think that's the biggest thing that kills a lot of people is when you get that comfort level and you stop pushing, you stop growing. And that's the part that I'm trying to do now. So we developed a bunch of the YouTube channels trying to go up, everything's trying to go up and it's like, all right, now how do we move forward? So that's where we're at now. Awesome. That's good. I think you'll do good at that. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna give everyone a hell of a shot. So Well, you uh you've obviously acquired a lot of skills, put yourself to the test in in different countries and different situations as SWAT uh, SWAT commander or officer, that kind of thing. When did you realize you had a special gift for the things that you do, for tactics, for that way of thinking? As you put it, you said when things are, are stressful, you don't, um, you, it's not a big deal for you. When did you realize you had really had a skill like that? So I learned that I had that in the Marine Corps. So when we started doing a lot of CQB, the, the house or when you clear buildings, it's, it can be very complicated because there's a flow to it. There's a mythology to it. And it made perfect sense to me. You know how some kids just algebra makes perfect sense to me. I look at it, it's just a bunch of numbers and letters. And I'm like, I don't know what we're doing. But clearing houses and doing combat in urban environments to me was very, very easy. It just made sense. Um, so at that point in time, I can make clear decisions when other guys that were A in charge or doing stuff were just because there's too many things going on at once. And to me, it was just Mm -hmm. It's going to order of importance and it's not that hard, you know, and uh, and that's when it kind of clicked. And then since then, I've kind of stuck to that world and I've been able to do well in it. So, yeah, that's where it was. So for you guys out there, CQB, explain CQB, what that stands for. Well, is it close quarters? So close quarters battles. Um, that's anything that takes place inside of a building or inside of a, any kind of structure. Uh, a lot of it started happening the first time that we actually did that organized was in Vietnam part of that World War II a little bit but not the way it's done and then uh, a couple of the units now especially Iraq Afghanistan especially Iraq that's where we concentrated the majority of our stuff with CQB battles just because of all the cities and it gets really up close and personal um, you get to see the bad guys really close so. can, can you share a time when um, when maybe everything was going on crazy around you and you had to step up and, and be the guy that took control? That's, that's one of the things that a lot of uh, a lot of people that we interview have some very similar things that point to who they are and what they're about, and it's usually based in, in when they realize their first time of what they're really special about, and then also at the time that they had to step up and be the person that they ultimately became permanently. If that makes sense um, to you? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So, two thousand seven, uh, we're in. The Shula province in uh, in Iraq, which is located near Baghdad, uh, we had a hit and we were supposed to go in with uh, commandos, which was the ISAF or the Iraqi Special Operations Forces, uh, um, Special Forces. And we were in there, we were advising them and we were doing clearing and clearing and clearing and clearing. And this was uh, the set, the last mission right before I got off mission, I was taken off to go home. Um, we drive into this, uh, into this, 
into this town looking for this this individual who was a knucklehead. He was a, a known bomb maker and just terrorist. As we start coming in, we're I'm attached to 10th group uh, at this time. So I'm working with 10th Special Forces group. We're coming in into this town and I've already been in country for over six months. So I've already had enough experience running these streets that I know how to run it. Well, this is a brand new team that came in, brand new team that came in and I was attaching myself to them. Uh, as we were rolling through, the first thing that I realized was a problem is we started getting lost. And I'm looking at the lead nav guy and I'm in the front vehicle. I'm like, what are we doing? He's like, oh, we're here, but this and this. And starting, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a problem. You got to get get your act together quick. Mind you, there's a commander and there's a team sergeant and all that other stuff in other vehicles. But I'm trying to relate to this guy. I'm like, you better get your act together quick because the longer we're messing around, they're going to start maneuvering on us. Um and no kidding, we kept on getting lost and couldn't figure it out that they now started putting tires and stuff in the middle of the road. And it was like a scene out of Mogadishu because um, now they start blocking the road and we're starting to take pop shots. And you can hear them, they're just coming, they'll hit the Humvee, ting, you know, and, and you're randomly, oh. And then I, it's funny, whenever I get into a stressful situation, I laugh <laughs> and I start laughing, which is weird because I'll stick my tongue out and I'll be like, oh, here we go. It's just my nervous tick, which probably maybe makes everybody else think that I'm crazy because I'm smiling in a moment that, you know, things about to get hairy. Um, and as we're going, we're driving around and now we're turning and turning and turning. Eventually we make it to the house. We do the hit on the house. I come in, I clear all the stuff with my guys. We're good. The, the There's still food on the table. So the dude was just there. The bad guy that we were looking for was just there. But now we're getting through ISR, which is our helicopters and our drones and stuff that are up top or our planes up top saying that we have military age males that are starting to move in on our position. We are a lot of guys, but at the same time, we're less than 40. So it's less than 40 of us in, in this town with, you know, we have 10 trucks, but 10 trucks are 10 trucks. You know, you start dealing with a militia of people that live here, you're going to be in the problem. Um, so we're on this location. I remember speaking to my counterpart on the Iraqi side, my sar the Sergeant Major there. And I'm like, all right, hey, Bada, we got to get going. Glad your peeps. The guy's not here. Let's go. And we load up in the vehicles and we start driving down this road and we stop because we start knowing that the road that we're on is black. It's a black road. That means that we it's, it has IEDs and we know it has IEDs. And I'm coming over, over the air and I'm telling the ground force commander, which is the captain. I'm like, hey, man. Uh, this this road has got IEDs. Like it's known, it's been like this for over three years. It's nobody drives down this road. This is a bad road. And he's like, okay. And at the end of the day, they don't. He doesn't end up listening to me. Um, he's more worried about these forty guys coming instead of just, hey, let's turn around and go the way the route we came. He wanted to go this direction, so we go through that direction. No kidding. There's a guy comes out with a cell phone, pops two EFPs, takes out the second vehicle. Um, EFPs were explosively formed penetrators. It's a looks like a, a bowl or a copper plate that when the explosive happens, it bends it the other way and shoots it forward, which can penetrate armor. So the second vehicle was completely destroyed. That was my Iraqis. I get out of the vehicle and now we're starting to take small arms fire because those 40 guys have now caught up to us because we've lost two vehicles in the middle of the road. So now we can't go anywhere. We're now stuck in a firefight. And I'm looking around. I pop out getting ready to go see what's going on. There's no Americans. All the Americans are stuck in their trucks. I have my Iraqis are losing their minds because they're now in a gunfight and the 50 cals, which are on top of the truck, they're starting the trucks, they're starting to open fire. And I have a lot of the Iraqis are trying to grab their own forge and start firing. And I'm looking, I'm like, what are you guys shooting at right now? So I'm like, they got bad guys out there. I'm like, all right, let those 50s continue to sing because if you guys get rid, if you guys burn through all your ammo on your M4s and we burn through all the ammo on the 50s, 
we're done. We're stuck in the middle of the city and we're not going to be able to go anywhere. We're going to get rolled up by these guys and then we're going to be on CNN. So as I'm running around, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking for other Americans. There's just nobody out there. There's one other guy that's out there. His name's Craig Cepeda. He's another guy that's from my group, and he's the only one that's outside. And the whole time he's like, "What's up with these assholes? How come they're not coming out?" And I couldn't. I don't. I'm, I didn't have an answer for him. So uh, that's when I realized that I kind of took control. And I remember as I'm running up and down the street, I'm looking for my, my the sergeant major, my counterpart, and he was in that second vehicle. When I open the door, and this is what's funny with the human mind, I look at him, and he's in half. So his whole upper part of his body, from his ribcage to his shoulders, gone. Is in fours and two pieces, and there's just blood, but not really. Kind of looks like a movie. Looks fake, and it didn't register. Like my 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 interpreter, I'm like, "Hey man, where's Botter?" He's like, "That's Botter." I'm like, "Huh?" It didn't quite register. I'm looking at a human being. I'm in combat, right? So I got to control these guys. And I remember walking up and down the street, and I'm thinking to myself, "I'm like, hey man, if there's a sniper, they know I'm in charge. So they're probably gonna take me out." So I did this little stupid little jog. I stop. I take two steps back, and I'm running up and down the street looking like a dummy. Because I'm like, if this guy, if someone can identify me, they're going to shoot me because I'm obviously in charge. So we eventually moved these vehicles, got them pushed forward. The, the entire time it's me and two two other guys outside on the streets. Every other American stayed in the vehicles. We didn't have any anything. I was completely calm. There was no stress on my side. So I was kind of like, we're good. That's when it hit me that I, when you put me in any kind of situation like that, you can handle it. Uh, we've had similar situations in the police department. No problem. Similar times and combat. That was my biggest test, I think. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you that and seeing Will in different scenarios, he is really the icon of Masters of Chaos. He, he does laugh, which kind of scares me because I'm like, what the hell are you laughing at, dude? <laughs> that's just his way of dealing with it. And that's why I say he's always kind of been my, my hero when it comes to the tactical world. And, you know, there was a couple of IED vests he disarmed in Afghanistan, but we'll have to shave that for the next podcast. But he truly is the master of chaos. Nice. That, that's just uh, saying to your name there. I think we've got the wrong title. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. We're starting to run out of time, but I, I, I want to I want to ask you a question and yeah. see, see how you see how you do on on this answer. I'm writing a book called The Warrior State of Mind. Because I think anybody who overcomes obstacles or difficulties in life can accomplish those things by applying a state of mind that a warrior has. You were talking a little bit about samurais and, and all the different warrior generations. But I think the, and my background is in obstacle course racing. And I think, you know, when you're trying to run an obstacle course, right, right like the military obstacle courses that you, no doubt trained on and, and that I trained on too. Uh, I'm 82nd Airborne Army 14 year combat medic. There you go. And um, so when we run obstacle courses, like you you train for that. You've got an eight foot wall. So, you know, you got to get a little bit of hop. You got to get a little bit of upper body strength. You got to swing that leg up over. So you need all these different muscles to be able to do that. And you've got to be able to train those muscles to do that. You also have a rope climb that you might come up and you've got to train the muscles that you need in your grip and in your legs and in your back to be able to climb that rope. Um, and so you can overcome obstacles by applying the warrior readiness, like what you were talking about. I got to get my poncho ready. I got to get all my stuff ready. There's a readiness right there, right? Yeah. But I think an accountant, uh, a single mom, uh, you know, someone who's, who's stuck in a, in a cubicle day job can still overcome obstacles no matter what they are. 
some of these obstacles we accomplish or we encounter in life, like a financial struggle or an obstacle of a marriage problem, or like you said, you need to be a better dad. All these different obstacles, we can overcome them by applying a warrior state of mind. So in my book, I feature people who have overcome specific obstacles pointing to a specific warrior skill set that they used to accomplish, to overcome whatever that obstacle is. So, Will, my question to you is, what chapter of my book are you going to be in? <laughs> what story are you going to tell that you said you want to be a life coach? Well, it's all about applying life to what you know, right? So right. what chapter in my book are you going to be in and what story are you going to tell people? No, so, no pressure. <laughs> No, nothing, none at all. We're good. No, so I'll tell you what. When, when I hit my thirties, I lost all my confidence in everything. Okay, I became compliant in, or com comfortable, uh, and just became lazy because that's what happens to everybody. I was a SWAT cop. I knew my job inside and out, and I just got comfortable. The moment that I realized that I had to change who I was, and that's when I left the police department and, and decided to change my life and go a different direction, the first thing I started doing was getting back in shape. And that is the first thing. So I, I got out of shape and I was ashamed to not have my shirt off, okay? The one thing that I can tell every human being out there is if you get yourself back in shape that you are fine looking at yourself without your shirt, because what do I do when I see someone? The first thing I'm going to do, and I don't do this on purpose, but I look at someone. If I see someone that's out of shape, I'm all, that person doesn't have control over their life because they can't control their diet. They can't control this. They can't control that. And that's something that I would do in the mirror every time I saw myself. I'm like, look at me, man. You're Will, you're a fat piece of shit. Get your stuff together. Why? Because I knew that the only reason that I wasn't back doing my job and doing what I had to do, because I stopped training. I stopped doing everything. I was working out trying to get muscles, but my diet was garbage. This was garbage, which led to my relationship being garbage. So what I would tell people is the first thing that you need to do is get your house in order. And by house in order, I mean, go get physically fit again. Go get your workout on. Go feel better about who you are. Go, go start making sure that your health is back in shape. What that will do is that will give you confidence. The moment that you have confidence in how you look and how you act will change how you act. The moment that how you act starts changing, okay, because now you're confident, your actions will start changing, which means that you can now take on any of these challenges with a different mindset because you're not coming from a defeatist side. You're not being defeated. You are now ahead of the curve because you now can take a second and look at it and be like, what do I got to do for this? Because at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world. Your health is in shape. Your mindset is now changed because you're not coming from, from A, I'm so afraid. We're always going to be afraid. I'm afraid of jumping out of airplanes to death, but I've done it for years. I hate jumping out of a plane, but I had to do it. Why? Because A, I didn't want to be a pussy and I had the rest of the guys staring at me. So what I do, will I ever jump out of an airplane again? Probably not, unless my children want me to. But that's what I'm saying. So now you're, you're changing your mindset, right? Uh, you're changing your mindset to, to a positive outcome. How am I going to defeat this? How am I going to do that? But you have to kind of step back and look at it. So that's what I can tell the accountant. That's what I can tell the, the, the person who's having a problem, difficulties with their, with their wife or their, their spouse to sit back. Let's figure this out and let's come from a point of confidence. Let's look at the, the people who have the financial struggles. How bad is this really going to get? And then sit back and let's, let's examine it. And the moment that you start doing that and, and come from a place of, of your confidence, like I said, then, and you're now being able to take on this fear Right. Because everything that we do is based fear based, whether we lash out to people or we don't do something or we procrastinate. It's out of fear because we don't know what we're going to accomplish. Your confidence directly goes against that fear, because my definition of confidence is 
your ability to know what your limitations are. Okay. I know what I can accomplish because I've either a done it or I've pushed myself to that verge. So I am confident up to that point. Anything after that, that's where the fear steps in, but it kind of depends out of there, how much further I go. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Get ready to write that down. Cause I'm going to ask you to submit a uh, story. <laughs> Bill, what do you got for a question? We want to be respectful of Will's time. He's probably. Yeah, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even got into the whole ribbing and, and the insult and all that yet, so we've got to hustle. Yeah, <laughs> my, my, my question actually just somewhat echoes what Mark said, right? Um, like we can sit here, all five of us, and talk about all the things that we've done and talk about our personality and our attitude of why we've done it. Um, but what, what catches my mind kind of is, is more of that mindset that you have, right? So people that are watching these these podcasts and people that are gonna be coming to our team building events, it's gonna be a whole walk of life of people, right? And and, and a lot of times the things that the, the five of us on here have done have, have been very extraordinary that is just not typical to the average person. So when we talk about getting into life coaching and so on and so on, something I do and something uh, Brett does and, and Mark and, and Sal, is that we we deal with a lot of people that like can't even picture what it's like to be taking pings in the middle of a war zone to be a seventh degree black belt to be out in the middle of nowhere and be a survival specialist to be a three-time olympian olympic champion um so talk let's i'd love to hear more about your mindset and where did you learn that because obviously you had parents that literally literally overcame everything against all odds did that instill in you? And then, and then, you know, I, every time I hear you talk about something, zero hesitation when they talked about going on a 12 mile rucksack and you haven't done it for a year, you talk about going to war, you were passionate about going to war, but in today's day and age, especially with the young generation, which is now also adopting into the older generation, everybody wants instant gratification. And when, and when times get hard, shit hits the fan for them and they just back out. So how do we like from your point of view, like when you start working with clients that, that are, you know, you know, hey, that's too hard, whatever it is. Like, how do you instill in them that confidence that we, we are so missing across the board globally with with our younger generation and, and today's generation? OK, so the way that I look at everything is how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Right. If you look at the whole big picture, will went to Iraq and started getting shot at you, you know, you know, seventh degree black belt, Olympics, this and that, Sal, team sergeant, a PA. It's that's the big, big picture. What's the first step? What's the first step that we take? So I am, you know, I'm let's just say I'm my mother, 72-year-old woman wants to get back in shape. What's the first step, Mom? Let's let's break it down. That's what I would do. And and like I was telling you earlier, what is the easiest thing that you can control? Yourself, right? What's your easiest thing you can do? Get up in the morning. Let's go take a walk down the road. Well, now that gives you the confidence that, hey, I can walk down the road and back. Well, tomorrow, let me stretch that out a little bit more. So now what you're doing is you're actually giving yourself a challenge every day. And that challenge extends from not only your physical fitness, which is the easiest thing to control, to your business, to your family, which is a thing that Sal has challenged me uh, to, to be a better dad, right? Because that's what I was lacking tremendously on was to be a better dad. So I did the first thing. You know what I did? I bought a skateboard. I'm 45 years old. I'm 46. My kid is 13 years old. 
I bought a skateboard. Why? Because that's what he's into. I couldn't figure out anything else. So you see me outside trying to ollie and not bust my ass because my third kid because it's one small step. Am I Tony Hawk riding a half pipe? No, maybe some people look, oh, how are you gonna do all that? I'm like, oh, I just bought the skateboard, man. I'm just trying to not fall. So for me, I tell people, what's the first step? Let's do the first step. That's why for me, I always go with the fitness thing because it's the easiest, easiest thing you'll be able to figure out with anybody. And it will give you confidence because you do. It's easy, one step. Let me eat right at lunchtime. Let me eat like shit at dinner, but let me eat at lunch, right? Okay, maybe dinner, maybe we'll do, maybe we eat right one whole day, et cetera, et cetera. It's just one bite at a time. That's that's what I would do. Instant gratification is a killer of all of us right now. Absolutely. Apathy kills. Sure. Apathy kills. Um, <clears throat> let's do this. Um, we, we've got a – we want to be respectful of your time. We have another guest we're going to interview. Uh, does anybody have a last quick question before we ask Will to let everybody know how to get a hold of him, how to follow him on social, that kind of thing? So. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask is, Will, how do we, how do our guests connect with you and connect with your journey? Uh, any of those that might be interested in being coached by you and your, and your wife, how can they connect? All right. So the first one would be, I'm the easiest off of Instagram. Instagram is my easiest. It would be uh, Rav, R-A-V underscore Sav, S-A-V. That's my personal one. Uh, the Savage Academy is the business that we're starting. So that's going to be when we start doing all the YouTube channels and everything, or the YouTube uh, videos, et cetera, et cetera, which are going to be a lot of everything from training to, oh, how to fix your marriage. How do you discipline your kids? It'll be everything that we got, right? And that is literally the Savage Academy. On Instagram, it is the.savage.academy. And the and uh, my email uh, on the website is going to be Will Ravello. Dot com and that one's still in the work so we're i was talking to sal on the side on that one like i said me and my my computer skills man i i dealt with bombs and explosives i didn't deal with like, with computers or radio equipment so it's it takes a minute so that's easy just set a bomb underneath an it guy and say get my shit together or I, <laughs> I just gotta find an it guy i can put a bomb under <laughs> well, i'm sure we can connect you with somebody's sal anything uh, you want to talk talk about or no i've told will this a thousand times man he's he's an awesome dude and he's probably like everybody else you know he doubts himself and then he just starts doing his own recipe one thing at a time and sometimes you know just like everybody else he needs a little kick in the ass and then he starts moving and showing everybody what he's made of so uh, i think it's important for everybody to know that like all of us have had struggles that we've overcome and will's that's why I wanted him on here. Will's had a lot of struggles uh, growing up and, you know, just through different things. And he's really someone to emulate. So, no, thanks for being on here, Will. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Will, we really appreciate you. Thank you for your service to our country and to the police force in San Francisco. I'm sure they appreciate you as well for your leadership. I'm sure you left your mark. Um, and anybody, I will sign on. No, I mean, I'll yeah, well, you and I are going to connect. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. Absolutely. <laughs> You're not getting out of this book thing, Wilson. <laughs> I can tell. I'm all about it. No worries. Too easy. Yeah. Above and beyond, like, thank you for your service. Um, it's just admirable to hear you talk about your, your career and your confidence. And kind of as Sal mentioned, obviously, you know, one of the things that so many people get confused by is they look at people like us and, and be like, oh, you guys have never been scared. Or you never get nervous. But 
you know, honestly, that's not the truth. We just find a way to overcome that and and survive and thrive. So thank you. Thank you. Hey, sorry, one last thing. Uh, Bill, I'm coming after you next, bro. <laughs> Well, you see, it, it doesn't stop. He's always just like, ah. <laughs> hey, Will, I forgot to do one thing. When we took the first photo, I wanted to get one just of use because we'll put that in the podcast. Okay. Sit up tall and give me your best smile because we know you're handsome. But Sal Rosano, rat, Sal Rosano bicep, like, ah. Oh, wait. I got part of that. But <laughs> anyway. Uh, we're gonna. I'll use this picture, and we'll send you the nice. flex picture. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> thanks, Will. We appreciate you. Thank you so uh, much, guys. We'll let you know when we when we put this out. But uh, I hope you have a great day, and hope we get to connect again soon. Hey, likewise. Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Hey, and, Will. I'll, I'll hit you up when we're done, bro. Okay, bro. Have a limitless day. See you, man. <laughs>